right, so hello. How's it going, Art? Hey, Eamon. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Play to Find Out, a Dungeon World podcast from the Dungeon World Discord. Welcome back, Eamon. Uh, back stateside, I understand you had a pretty good trip. I, I, I undertook a perilous journey, um, we'll say that. Nice. So, I, uh, I went to, um, to Rome and, and, and sang with a a choir like throughout uh, several several cities in Italy. So very nice. Got to visit some relatives uh, abroad as well. So very adventurous. Although ironically, uh, speaking of recent games, I I didn't actually play a role playing game proper. I don't think at all during the latter half of break. Right at the beginning of uh, Christmas break, I played a, a few games. Um, Man, I, I I missed the chance this uh, this break to do a Christmas themed um, adventure, which is always fun. Oh, I, I, I on did Christmas too. Day, I was actually mm. with my with my grandma, so she's she's a little old to want to play role playing games. Yeah. Well, I tried putting together a New Year's Eve game. Um, I had a whole a whole thing prepped uh, called Dungeon Golf. The plan was to take my normal party out on a golfing outing with uh, <laughs> Dungeon World mechanics, and you know. Oh, you're at the you're at the third hole, and you're caught in the sand trap. And oh, there's a horde of goblins advancing down the fairway. But <laughs> uh, that never ended up coming together. So we'll uh, we'll come back to it probably next time we're in a golfing mood. That's great. I think that if I was going to do something similar, I would try to build an adventure around the carouse move. <laughs> mm, I like that. Well, anyway, I was thinking today. We would talk about something that's come up recently with one of my friends, uh, one of the players in my game. Um, now, this player is someone that I've played in a lot of different systems with over the last couple of years. Um, and she has a lot of really fun character ideas and a lot of really fun just general approaches to role play. Um, and she was talking to me recently about a, a less than thrilling experience she had with a, a different group that she was trying out. Um, okay. And... That she was playing in? She was playing in. And I said, well, you know, if you did, it seems like it's cool that... The, it seems like these people are cool, but the game wasn't really for you. Did you try to just say, hey, we're playing Dungeon World instead, and, you know, slam down the book and say, hey, I'm running this, let's go. Um, and she said, well, no, uh, because I'm not sure that I, I'm ready to run Dungeon World. And that got me thinking, you know, you can be a player in a Dungeon World game for a good long while without being... without ever feeling the urge to DM. But when the opportunity presents itself, I'm curious how you get from the player mindset to the DM mindset. This is something that I did. I started as a player and then went on to DM, but I had already DM'd in other systems before. What I'd like to sort of talk through is how do you get from playing to running a game? Well, I would, I would like to ask you, your first ever role-playing experience, was it as a player or as a DM? Um. My first ever role-playing experience was as a DM with my dad in a system that I designed, uh, where my dad, because he was bored with it, killed himself with his own battle axe uh, about halfway through. Um, that is amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was one of the... It's actually like an all-time highlight of role-playing experiences of, the like, oh, I'm not really into this, but I know I understand the system. I can do anything I want. Well, watch this. Um which was, <laughs> yeah, um, it was definitely a nice reality check for me as a you know ten year old. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah, my dad's I my dad's a hoot. Um, 
Have you have you ever heard or seen the Diary of a Wimpy Kid little book series for kids? Yeah, my brother liked those. I never. I think they they kind of. I was a little old for them when they started being, uh, when they started getting popular. They range from like asinine to charming, and you're right. It's for yeah. a younger age group, but I do remember that um, the time I came across them was before. I really knew about role playing as a fleshed out hobby and I just mm-hmm. vaguely knew what it was. And there was like a few pages in, I think, I don't know which one of the books it was where they kind of like touched on role playing. And, uh, the mom of the main character was like forcing the older brother to run a session for the younger brother. And the younger brother was really nervous that the older brother wouldn't take it seriously. So he spent hours making a bunch of characters with really generic names and backstories. They would be not able to be made fun of or something. Mm -hmm. And then the session lasted all of 30 seconds as the older brother said, all right, you nerds fall in a hole and die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The classic campaign. Yeah. The the, the classic time honored campaign. Yeah. (laughs) It's really funny. Uh, but. Yeah, so uh, for me, one thing, as I was getting used to the whole Dungeon World thing, um, one of the ways that I started to build confidence in the like storytelling component of it was exercising a little bit more uh, narrative control as a player, uh, not just as a, you know, and not just saying, oh, this is what my character does, but also being becoming more comfortable with just speaking up and saying, well, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, this NPC uh, was involved with this other thing? Um, and that was sort of the the start for me of, like, building up how to construct a Dungeon World experience was just, you know, start, you know, exercising a little bit more narrative control. And I think that the best Dungeon World games tend to be the ones where the players exercise a lot of that narrative control. So That's true. That's a place to start. I, Find I the, think... Sorry, I was going to say that Dungeon World specifically is a really interesting system to talk about this topic in, but finish what you were saying. Yeah, well, I I was thinking, if you can start finding your voice for what you think is a cool moment or a cool visual or a cool experience, and then you start bringing that experience into your game through your character and through the way that the world reacts to your character, not just how your character reacts to the world, but vice versa as well, that is the first step towards thinking about that for all characters and thinking about that for all players and being able to run a session as opposed to participating in one as a player. I think that Dungeon World as a system is one that encourages the role of adding to the story to really be as evenly shared as possible between all players, which is something that other store, other systems um, don't push or leverage as much. So you could make the argument that the role of the DM and the role of the player in Dungeon World is much more on an even plane than in some other games, where it really is that sort of back and forth thing. And who has the more involved task, so to speak, mm-hmm. is almost a non-question in Dungeon World because it's kind of even, like which is quote-unquote harder, yeah. being a DM or being a player in Dungeon World. Well, both are improving, both are rolling with the punches, both are trying to think ahead, both are trying to create arcs and bring moments to the forefront, um, which is an interesting way to think about it. Because uh, I think that a really well-played character can be just as involved and just as like time-consuming, even away from the table, mm-hmm. as a DM. Especially because yeah. the role of the DM in terms of intensive prep in Dungeon World is somewhat downplayed. Um, which I hope, and I have seen, encourages people to want to try to DM in Dungeon World. Because it's far less intimidating uh, than certain other systems where yeah. you really have to digest everything. Because most games... Um, and I think this is a strength of games that have a DM, although there are certain weaknesses of games having a DM, is 
that um, they're welcoming to new players. Because even if you don't know anything about the system, you can just jump in and the DM will just guide you along. You just yeah. tell a story, and whenever you need to interact with the rules, the DM will just be like, okay, please roll this and add that. And you know, you can have like a fifth edition character sheet in front of you and not know anything about it, and a good, you know, fifth edition GM will make a game happen. But um, I, I don't think I'm personally that qualified to add perhaps the super meaningful uh, insight that that th- this person might be looking for because I like you like my all my first experiences with role playing games were as a mm-hmm. DM because it's just I don't know personality based and whether or not I'm a good uh, GM which I like to think that um, I am um, I'm a certainly an eager one like I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. wanting to be like behind behind the screen so I know for other people that that's seen as like a step two or that's seen as something that they would work up to like being in the DM once they're like comfortable with certain things um, and exactly what sorts of um, quibbles or what sorts of anticipations or anxieties like that certain person would be dealing with is going to vary, but also I might not uh, anticipate. So I I do know that um, improv itself is something that a lot of people like get hung up on. Like once they're, they run to the end of their prep, and then the players push further, uh, they might mm-hmm. be at a loss. So, I don't know, do you want to talk about leveraging yeah. certain resources? I, yes. I know that that will flow into our next session eventually, I, but... I think that now that we've talked a little bit about finding your voice and getting used to it in a, in a comfortable environment of your current game, it's time to start preparing for your first session. And Yeah, the first session's a big one, especially in Dungeon World. Especially if it's your first session ever running something. I really think Dungeon World is a great first system as well. Because the way to run a first session, as prescribed in the book, is to go in understanding what the rules are, but with very little else ready. And that's what I've always done when I'm starting a new Dungeon World campaign, is I've gone in with nothing prepared. Um, You know, I I typically go into one-shots with maybe a list of monsters that might be fun, just so I have it on hand, and that's it. And... Part of the reason that I think that works in Dungeon World is that you can get so much out of just character creation with your group. You can learn oh, yeah. so much about the story that you could tell based on what the characters are. The character sheets are masterfully created um, for that specific exactly. purpose. That so they're you, always they're they're pushing hooks. Yeah. Always. So when you walk in with a folder full of the character sheets printed off of the website, you hand them out to your group. Suddenly, 15 to 20 minutes later, after you've gotten through the the number crunching and gone over bonds, you'll almost naturally have the beginning of your story. The trick is just think about why your group is in this place right now and why they're fighting together. And then think about where what a cool place might be. Um, and one way to facilitate that is to think about sort of broad stroke arcs that you could run depending on what your characters end up being. Um, yeah. I like to keep a list on hand of just adventures that I think might be cool, and that usually has some different options for like a heist or a chase, um, and then some options for an ambush or a scouting mission or just a, a rote dungeon. Um, but I've also had things with like a prize fight or uh, some people fleeing a sheriff and then uh, eventually, t- you know, killing the sheriff and becoming the sheriff themselves. Um you know, you've, you can create these relatively simple starting points with just a single word, um, heist or chase, and then build out from there. Um, so go into your first session just knowing, here are some different stories that I'm comfortable telling. Let's find out who the main characters are and why they're part of this story. 
Um, and I think with that attitude, you can really go in with the confidence that you need in order to run a game like Dungeon World. Um, and then, of course, if you don't have an idea for something and you're totally stymied and you, you start to sweat because you can't think of what it is you're going to say next and what's going to happen next in your story, then just say, hey, what happens next? What what who comes into the room that from your past? Give them something to bite onto, and then your players will generate the story for you. you wanna... I think that's a fair point. Uh, the fact that you can propose something to the players in very vague terms and ask for them to like flesh it out. Like you can say, like guys, I was thinking about some sort of ambush happening next. Like, what do you think would be most narratively interesting? Yeah, who like, you can who talk would to them ambush you right as now? Players, if you want, like instead of as characters, sometimes. So yeah. And and if your if your players don't have anything for for you, then you know take a break. That's the the number one thing that a new GM should get used to, is call for a break when you're when you've reached the end of your prep and you need a moment to collect yourself and figure out what's next. Um, I typically will call for a ten minute break every hour or so, um, depending on how the flow of the game is going and how close I am to the end of my prep, how much I need to generate coming up. And trust me, you know this as a player. Your players all are really excited to have a break. It's great. Having those 10 minutes to just take a, a step back from your character and get some water, relax, not have to be in the moment, it can be a really good mental uh, rejuvenation. So that's those are kind of my recommendations um, for making the transition from player to DM. There's one or two things I might add. Yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, we might mention that there's a whole variety of resources out there um, and you can check out um, especially the, the Dungeon World uh, subreddit, like the, in the sidebar is a whole bevy of things um, and depending on your campaign and the needs you might have all, all manner of different generators or random tables on hand and during a break is a good opportunity to leverage those to like make some roles to be like who does come next and like maybe generate an NPC or roll up a monster or whatever you want um, or, or a new um maybe even like a map for a new area um, because uh, then it's not taking up time in front of the players as they're watching you just flip pages and make a bunch of rolls if that's actually what you're doing. But taking a break also touches on a role of the DM um, or what often falls to be the role of the DM that is um, underrepresented or under talked about, which is them as being a, a, a facilitator of a good group of vibe. That aside from being focused with the narrative and its content of being like, all right, are, are you know, is the pacing good? Are we getting you know some good monsters? Are the highlights there? Is every player contributing? They're also kind of keeping a pulse on the players in real life. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, is everyone comfortable? Is everyone actually having fun? Like, um, how how long have we like been here? Um, like, how's everyone feeling? Like, is everyone comfortable with the content? And that's often something that's pretty easy, um, especially if you're just playing with a bunch of friends and it's, it's like, low-stakes gaming. But if you're ever getting into um, uh, material that's maybe more intense somehow, um, maybe, like, there's inter-party conflict where where like one the one player is keeping a secret from another and you're trying to moderate, like, that going down in a satisfying way uh, and it to uh, not be like that where one player starts like perhaps hogging like a spotlight in a way that's detrimental to the group or maybe like tempers somehow get involved or um uh, in more rare cases maybe there's material that is uh, objectionable to like one person or another um these things probably don't happen that often for the average gaming group but if they do 
oftentimes it's up to the GM to make sure that it goes over smoothly. And just being able to have like the social skills to like um, flip in and out of character and to ask people like, you know, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you feeling about this campaign is um, as important, I would say, as being able to like spout epic um, like one liners really yeah. quickly you know, and stuff like that. Additionally, um, tools that would help both of the above things, both, you know, more out of character stuff, more in character stuff is good communication. The number one important skill of a GM is asking the players in and out of game, like, you know, uh, get, give me some feedback. Like you like what's going on? Like, and, and also prodding them to, um, to always have their wheels turning and be like, what do you want to happen in the next session? What are you excited about? A really easy trick that isn't so forward of being like, tell me things about your character is at the beginning of one session, um, instead of yourself giving a recap of what happened last session, which is a good practice to have some sort of recap, ask a player, be like, hey, it's your turn. You uh, give a recap to everyone to remind people what happened last session. Um, and hearing a player talk about what they think happened the last session really gives you a, a feel for um, what they think is important, which is helpful too, because maybe you have like dropped some hint or foreshadowing of something and they didn't pick up on it, um, which would be a good opportunity to like reevaluate um, like what you're going to do in that session. Maybe you need to reinforce something. Also, if they thought something was really important that you didn't plan to be maybe you can now make that important you know things like that and you can also see like the points that they highlight and are really excited about mentioning and being oh remember this gives you a good feel for the dynamic of the group itself and the type of moments that you want to create and lastly it's just fun to like hear your players like um rehash the the exciting things that happened it's a really easy one um I think those are those are the the main things. Um, yeah. Unless we want to talk about prep specifically, well, this is I, a lot of uh, at the table stuff. Yeah, I do want to give one concrete thing that you can do when you run out of ideas. When in doubt, there's nothing wrong with putting a totally benign treasure chest right in, in a room off to the side and letting the players find it. It'll make everyone happy. It'll give a nice stopping point if you want to take a quick break and do some more prep. And it's never going to go over badly with any group i promise there's a technique i call them panic buttons and you can create some little flashcards for yourself um of things that can happen um in almost any fictional circumstance that you can inject into the fiction to um fill dead space like if the players are sort of like what next if that ever happens mm -hmm. and you don't really have uh, a logical place to go in the narrative um, you can throw something in uh, that will kind of like kickstart and change the scene and allow for something else to emerge without hard railing it. Mm -hmm. um, and in your free time, you can like create these and then at the table, just sort of like pull one up in front of you when you want it, either randomly or like picking from your little uh, hand of cards that you have. But if you have um, between three to five in a given session, that's usually enough that Mm -hmm. you'll there'll never be a dead moment like because if there ever is one you you just take the next one of these and those um the easiest one is they're attacked by something because i mean basically yeah. always and at all times pieces are being at risk of it being attacked but they can really go in a lot of other directions aside from it being um like oh we randomly get attacked all the time a really uh easy one that works in most campaign worlds and in most situations um is it rains like suddenly it rains and everyone takes a moment 
to like observe that happening like maybe like the, the environment's changing animals are like going into their burrows people are looking for cover like the pcs now are soggy torches might go out like thinking of all the implications of a simple weather change allows there for be en- enough things happening that um sometimes it flows into a different narrative moment mm. and of course you can combine these like it's rains and then the goblins choose that moment to attack or something but those little changes really um, bring people to the attention of like, oh, I forgot there even was weather in this world because maybe it doesn't get touched on that often and things like that. Those those are really nice to just have in your panic buttons and um, allow for there to be um, changes in the scene that don't hard rail them into like suddenly you're all in jail, you know, yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget, there's always a move on the list of dungeon master moves in this game that is appropriate for the situation you're in. Usually there's more than one. So if yeah. you're if you're flailing, look at the list. It's right there for that's you. That's nice. Yeah, that's really nice to have at the table as a yeah. new GM. Oh yeah, always keep that around. I keep it. I for a while there when I was still getting used to the whole GMing thing, I had them all written down on individual Post-it notes, and I would actually go and touch the one that I was currently invoking as I invoked it, just to make sure that I was <laughs> sticking with the list and making nice. moves from the list, and that really helped get them internalized. Yeah, um, and once they are internalized, um, they it becomes you'll be thinking in those terms. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you definitely don't have to be like making sure it checks up. And I've never played with a player in Dungeon World who is like checking the list as I'm doing something to make sure that I'm adhering to it. Um, and I, I've never heard of that happening. So I, I wouldn't be scared as a GM of like, you know, does this count? Like, is someone gonna, you know, come come up and like spring the fact that I'm like deviating from the rules? They're broad enough as well that as long as you are thinking with the story, it's not like you're going to accidentally get something wrong and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and played, played correctly. There are no wrong answers, so to speak in, in a good, um, like back and forth role-playing dynamic. Totally. Well, do you want to talk about some, um, epic generators? Yeah. Let's talk about some epic generators. So one more thing that any DM can use, whether you're new or old is, the ability to create a space that feels reasonable and livable and make that space come alive for your players. So let's talk a little bit about medieval fantasy city generation. So you had proposed to talk about um, a, the what you refer to as the best map generator I've ever used. And I, yeah. having encountered this before... Um, I think I'd have to agree, especially in, in specifically in the space of generating medieval fantasy city maps. Yeah. Well, um, we will link to this in the show notes, but the map itself comes from itch.io, specifically Watabow, W-A-T-A-B-O-U dot itch.io. Um, this is the medieval fantasy city generator, and it is just gorgeous to look at. I've never made a map with this generator and thought, well, that doesn't look right at all. It it just spits out these incredibly detailed, very densely packed medieval fantasy sprawling cities with these Byzantine uh, blocks and these main streets that run through the whole town and all converge in a city square, complete with castles and docks and and, and deep oceans and, and raging rivers. But it doesn't require you to come up with everything right off the bat. It gives you some hints for what might be in places. It, it says, oh, well, the shanty town is where all these small buildings are clustered, and then there's the wall, and there are gates here, 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 and here. But it still leaves things blank. Well, who lives in the castle? Why do they have a castle that's split off from everybody else in the city? 
why is the wall halfway through the city limits um, instead of enclosing the entire town? Who lives inside the wall and why are they so much more important than those who are outside? It is one of the few map generators I've ever seen that gives you opportunities to ask specific questions about what the map has shown you rather than just telling you where everything is and leaving it at that. And at the same time, it keeps it visually interesting enough that you can come up with these things based on the random chance of the arrangement in front of you. For um, for those of you who don't have an opportunity to check out this link, um, which you definitely should if you can, because mm-hmm. this is the sort of thing that has to be seen to fully understand like its potential. But um, in more general terms, it's a uh, an HTML page with some... Um, code going on that at every refresh of the page will create a sepia tone map that draws um, bodies of water, including rivers, walls, polygons with a slightly darker shade in the inside that will represent structures, occasionally um, uh, sh- structures of different um, different geometry that might be a well or something like that, and roads. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially it. And then on hover over on different blocks of buildings, it will um, automatically label districts for you, um, which you can you know, adhere to or discard. Like it'll say this is the temple district, the craftsman district. Um, and additionally, on the upper right, there are um, different options to, uh, to tailor the generation of the next one that you generate however you like, and as well as to scale the size. Mm-hmm. So this can go all the way from a, a very small town or hamlet all the way up to um, what art was referring to in these extremely large and impressive cities. And I think the, the, and there's a lot of features here that, um, that make a lot of sense. You can really tailor the, um, the style of it to be how you, how you like and, and, and the visual style really nice to make it look good, which is it's definitely one of the best looking generators I've ever mm-hmm. seen. But aside from that, because there are generators that are slightly prettier than this, although I like this, um, this minimalist style a bit with the sepia tone, um, at least that it has by default, yeah. is that it always makes things that look very sensible and very real. Yeah. So the the um, um, but are are totally different every time. So the random generation here is not suffering from the kind of goofiness that they sometimes have mm-hmm. because they always look like yeah. this was a city that was somewhat planned, but also kind of grew up organically over time, especially with the big ones. Yeah. Like the districts are laid out and like, it looks like you're looking at a map of like, like Rome or something, yeah. especially with the bigger ones where the, the districts um, themselves are cut up a lot with side streets and things, but the main roads like network in a very interesting pattern. So yeah, kudos, especially to the creator um, for really understanding how, how cities are put together yeah, it's really. It also draws docks sometimes, yeah, which does. is really. It's nice. just a really yeah. compelling piece of of design that you can plop down in front of you and say, "Well, this is a space that I can really use." And my current campaign, we're actually using a map that we generated from this because because we found the map that perfectly captured the space we wanted to explore, um, and that was really exciting. <laughs> So, Eamon, do you have something today that we can picture for our own game? So, for the picture this, I would like to um, bring to the table the idea of uh, playing in a world that has um, interesting and dynamic 
uh, races with each other. That doesn't necessarily mean like, oh man, you know, elves, dwarves, and halflings are so bland, we gotta scrap them all and come up with sentient oozes as the races we play as. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all fine and good, and there's a whole lot of stuff you can explore with that, and what being a different race really means, but... What I'm talking about is um, social dynamics in cities. Um, sometimes, um, especially as the DM, this is your job to think about because these are the details of the setting that um, you're going to have a lot of influence over minute to minute, whereas someone at character creation might you know, say something that influences the palette of the game. You know, if a character is an elf, then I guess elves are going to be more of a thing and you can ask them about their culture and whatnot. But when you come into a new place... Um, Maybe that has a bunch of monster races or that has a bunch of races. Uh, it's up to the GM a lot of times to determine what the dynamic there is. And uh, sometimes it can be simplistic where it's just like, oh, everyone you know, of this race is in this part of town because. But I, I ran a game once, a one shot, um, where race really factored into it, but in sort of a non-traditional way. We our setting. Both of our both of the players um, picked small creatures. One of them was a salamander and the other a halfling. And they were sort of ideally disposed towards thievery. Uh, and we realized, well, you know, it's time to go and rob some high society folks. Well, who are the high society folks? They're orcs. We, um, and we, we kind of stumbled into the setting where your status in the society was not based on your race per se, but it was based on how big you were, especially relative to other races. So you had these love big that. orcs, yeah. these seven-foot-tall hulking orcs who are the, the nobles, the, the princes and princesses, and the counts and countesses. And then they're served with, by a retinue of kobolds who skitter around because they're, you know, two to three feet long. Um, and who have these networks of tunnels within the orc mansions that are kobold-sized because that way they can move about unseen and do their serving work. Um, which meant that our, and you know, they, they would, the tables that the orcs were sitting at were so tall that they had, to, that the kobolds would bring a stepladder along and, and skitter up them with a tray full of teapots or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and it turns out that's an ideal situation if you're going to be having a heist with a salamander and a halfling because they're also small enough to navigate these, these serving tunnels. So that ended up being a very fun uh, use of race that let us both tell some stories about what it's like to have a class divide in a society like this, um, but also, you know, root it in something that's very visual and very distinct and very easy to wrap your head around and, and also gives a cool mechanical or gameplay uh, element. A few episodes ago, I talked a little bit about the uh, the the darkness below mm -hmm. um and that session provides you three like starting cultures that your guy could be from and they're like three sentence descriptions but they're so evocative that i like, want to go to those places like one of them was like this is a proud race because it's said that in ancient times they killed their own gods you know like oh, that's yeah, cool. Like, okay. your person your person is from a race that like has this in their lore and like that's what how they see themselves is as like you're the descendants of god killers that's really cool you know like mm -hmm. you're, you're that, that you're coming from a rich history which you, you all you have to do is mention for it to be interesting you don't even have to like go to the effort of really fleshing it out mm -hmm. but it's already something that's there that's much more simple than like yes i'm a dwarf and i live underground and i like to mine but you can layer that on top like that that you're maybe the dwarves in your world have killed their gods mm -hmm. you know or something like that and, so, and there's certainly nothing wrong with yeah. being a dwarf who likes to mine but as a DM as well. Don't be afraid to have dwarves that don't like to mine. One last thing to add on to this, since this picture, this um, has, has kind of has unfolded into a certainly. nice little 
a, a, a nice little um, uh, overview of, of how races can affect a game is uh, really relish at character creation, um, asking people uh, what their race means in this world. Mm-hmm. And by asking that, you'll give them the agency to... Um, to change things because especially a lot of first time role players and a lot of first time GMs, um, they, um, for convenience sake are resting on the shared fiction of all races are as they appear in Lord of the Rings and similar Mm -hmm. media. Um, because that's the common cultural fiction, but, um, even a small tweak can really, um, can really change the way that a race is represented um, in the world. And um, I've seen some really interesting ones that breathe a new life into uh, these um, these races that uh, can, at worst, almost become tired tropes in and of themselves. Um, in the first, um, not the first, I, I believe it's the second Plundergrounds uh, zine, or zine, that, um, that Ray Otis put out called uh, Kazarak, I believe. Um, there was a section about how to make the dwarves in your world be unique, and there was a whole table you could roll on and stuff. But some of them were like, as dwarves grow older in your world, they ossify. So really old dwarves um, become almost sessile, where eventually they just sort of merge with the stone and like become statues. And so there are halls of elders, which are basically statues that people sometimes talk to because perhaps they can still hear them, you know. Or and um, one of them was dwarves can actually smell treasure, and they actually like they prefer certain minerals because they have a fragrance to them that other races like wouldn't pick up on and stuff like that, where you can really like push it and say that they're not just sort of short, but they actually have these different biological things that really make them, make them unique. Like, you know, perhaps your elves, um, like a certain benign substance to other races is a powerful narcotic to them Mm -hmm. because they're elves, you know, and then they, they highly value it. Whereas for other races, it's just kind of nothing, you know, stuff like that really creates new, I mean, that there's a bunch of plot hooks right there, you know, and that really adds flavor to your world and being sure to, um, uh, with your players in session one, like set stuff like that up instantly makes it a unique thing where they're like, Oh no, 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 you don't understand in our world, things work like this. And then already they're taking ownership of that. Yeah. Um, and that's really and exciting really fun. when you when yeah. you get it. And I think this actually is a great point to transition into a question from the community. Yay, we have a question. We have a question. Um, Quido Ego uh, from the Dungeon World Discord, and I have no idea if I've got the pronunciation right on that, uh, asks, It will be different for everyone, but I'm curious where people draw inspiration from when DMing. There's the obvious answer of things like Lord of the Rings and such, but... I'm wondering what sparks Eureka moments for others. Now, I know I have well, some stuff that I always am drawing on as a well of inspiration, but I asked the question, Eamon, what do you have for an answer? Well, first of all, thank you for Quid We Go, and I think that was a great attempt uh, at the name yeah. art. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that pronunciation. Um, because this is a, this is a great one, and this is going to be uh, different for everybody. But for me personally, my personal favorite, or when I my brain gets on fire the most, is when I'm reading um, supplements for um, Dungeon World that are written by other people. Um, and we talked about them in another episode, which again may or may not be aired. But I like uh, zines quite a bit. Um, the Ray Otis Plundergrounds ones um, I like a lot, and I also like. Um, adventure starters 
and uh, and also dungeon starters um, that are done just right, where they provide a bunch of sort of um, loosely connected bits and bobs that you can go together. Because when I see something that's a great idea or a great set piece, um, I am just immediately thinking, like, I want to put this in a game. Like, I want to see it at the table and, and, and putting that around. So I love when I um, open up a supplement and instead of it, like, trying to tell me a story and how to properly convey that story, it's just a toy box. And it's full of all these amazing things that I can, like, drag and drop and put all over. Yeah. Um, that's what you often find with collections of magic items. But sometimes you find these with collections of plot elements. So, like, here's an NPC. Here's a monster. Here's a location. And you can just sort of put those wherever you want. Um, those definitely spark Eureka moments for me. And things where even if I'm not going to use that thing, the idea that they used to come up with that, I now have. Like, you know, yeah. what if there was uh, a mushroom that, like, when you don't look at it, gets closer to you? Like, that's the, that's all the idea mm-hmm. is. But, like, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll just put that in somewhere as, like, a just thing to creep someone out. Like, that's... Yeah, all you need is that idea, and then I, c- I could just put that anywhere. You know, th- those are the things I love. So totally. definitely, uh, it's a, gr- it's a great way. Dungeon supplements. It's a great way to just spark that moment of creativity that you need in order to make something really unique. Um, I actually have a, a kind of I don't know how off the beaten path this is is like a thing that inspires DMs, um, but I get a lot of ideas from children's television shows, especially animated children's television shows, both from my own youth and that are, you know, modern and people are currently watching. Um, I don't think I've ever run a Dungeon World game with an emulator and not thought about it in terms of a firebender from Avatar The Last Airbender. And Avatar mechanics in general tend to be like a major influence in my Dungeon World games regardless. Um, a combination of the setting with this really beautiful... Uh, sort of a rural setting that then transitions into these huge sweeping cities is um, is a really like valuable adventure arc to be able to to be comfortable with and to be able to draw on. So having that as a touch super evocative, yeah. Um, but then on top of that, it has some great characters to draw on, some great design, and it's just it just is very vivid looking. Um, and when I try to, what, it's lush. It's lush. Yeah. It's pastoral. Um, And that's not just true of Avatar The Last Airbender and its uh, sequel series, Avatar uh, Legend of Korra, I presume. I actually haven't watched it. Um, Yeah, it's Legend. I've watched all of that. Yeah. Legends of Korra. Great stuff. Um, I also. Certain seasons good, certain seasons not, but your mileage may vary. I've I've really drawn on, uh, and this one's definitely not, or, well, I can't speak for you as a listener, but um, the Netflix television series Voltron not the original version but the one that Netflix picked up and has been running um, has some incredibly inventive alien designs and place designs and environment designs that have really been something I've drawn on when thinking about new places and I think a lot of I think that might be why I like kids shows a lot as ways to build inspiration and get eureka moments is that they have to be visually interesting in order to be successful and in order to be visually interesting, they have to do something unique. Um, so drawing on those unique things and bringing them into this other context is a great way to both get more comfortable describing these very off-the-wall things that are, you know, a little bit hard to get your head around and wrap your, you know, wrap your descriptions into. Um, but then also, they tend to be good, fun, relatively inoffensive things that you can draw on, which is a good way to keep everyone comfortable, especially in a, in a new group. It's a good way to keep everyone comfortable with what's going on. Um, and then, of course, one thing to draw inspiration from is the world of professional wrestling. 
I'm, I don't follow it particularly <laughs> closely, but the larger than life storylines and beats between these people that have these deeply m- meaningful rivalries with one another um, and who are very sort of flamboyant and gregarious or uh, conniving, whatever, whatever it is, um, they have these just big personalities and being able to describe a big personality in broad strokes is a great thing to inject humanity into your, especially into your villains when you're running a dungeon world campaign. So draw on that as well. Draw on the places where villains are larger than life in our own lives to make your villains larger than life in your campaign. Draw on the zaniness and imagination of children's programming to make your world pop and stand out. And think about the way that these stories, these arcs are told from some of the great, some of the great television plot lines of our, uh, you know, of our culture. So yeah, those are kind of my, my pulls for things that I draw inspiration from that really inspire those Eureka moments for me. If you've got a Eureka moment or an inspiration source that you'd like to share, uh, hit us up on the Dungeon World Discord in the hashtag podcast channel or via private message. Uh, I'm Art Projects and Eamon is Voidlight. Or by email. What's that email address, Eamon? That email is playtofindout at protonmail.com. Um, that is P-L-A-Y-T-O-F-I-N-D-O-U-T at proton, P-R-O-T-O-N, mail.com. We would love to read anything that you send us there um i sent an email uh to it today just to test that it's working uh, and it is so uh please uh feel free to liven up that inbox with uh any questions you might have ideas stuff for picture this uh topics that you want to hear us talk about in gm academy or meta talk uh, or highlights from your own recent mm-hmm. games so something that was just a real nice uh, set piece or flavor moment that we could um give uh and share share with the community well amen Thank you for joining me tonight. I think we've had a really great wide-ranging conversation about some techniques and tips for being a new DM, a returning DM, or just someone who wants to tell cool stories with their friends as a player or facilitator. Uh, So one last time, I'm Arthur, Art Projects on Discord. And I'm Eamon, Voidlight on the Discord. It's been a pleasure having you at the table today. Absolutely. Uh, Join us next time as we play to find out.